0: Everyone at Ipswich was great in how they dealt with the situation. You know, they knew what was going to come my way. They knew the animosity that was shown against me. Um, I understood the animosity that was going to come my way. And, you know, I took a lot of grief that, that, that day and many
1: subsequent days since. Hello, buddy, it's me, producer Ross, and welcome to another edition of Ross Meets, and this is the season two finale I want to say a big thank you, as ever, to all the listeners who have listened to the series so far, and also a big thank you to all my guests that have took part, shared their stories, shared their memories about their career and their time at town. And, uh, you know, we're living in weird and strange times at the moment, so hopefully I've brought you some entertainment, memories to look back on, and it's just been really good fun. And uh, Series 3 is coming as well, so I'm looking forward to bringing you that in the coming months. But yes, the Season 2 finale, here we are. And let's get into it, my final guest of Series 2. And it's a man who, well, crossed the divides playing for them up the road and, of course, Itchwich Town. And, yes, it is former town goalkeeper Andy Marshall. And this was a great chat with Andy to talk about his career and his time at town from his early beginnings at Norwich to then making that move to Itchwich back in 2001. A massive move that at the time. And, well... We opened all the doors of his career, and I did enjoy chatting to him. He's a very good talker. Talking about his other spells, of course, playing for Millwall in the FA Cup final against Manchester United. He was on a losing side, of course, but what an experience for him. Definitely when he was on loan from Richard Sound at the time, which was just madness. But it was great to hear his stories from that. It also, spell at Coventry, Aston Villa, and then returned to Millwall for making that decision to retire. And he's now been at different coaching roles at Aston Villa. He was actually took charge of one game in the FA Cup. And it was against Leicester. And he's got a win there. So not a bad record as a manager. Then of course now he's currently at Shelton as the goalkeeping coach. And he spoke about his time. The ups and downs at his time at the Valley so far. But yes, it was a great chat with Andy. I really did enjoy it. I hope you guys enjoy it too. A big thank you, as ever, for listening to the Ross Meets. Let me know. Give me some reviews on the Apple Podcasts, which player you've enjoyed listening from so far in this series, and uh, players you'd like to hear from too in Series 3 and beyond. So thank you, as ever, guys. I will be with you very shortly again. Let's get into the episode. Sorry for always rambling, but let's get into it. How you been in these... These strange times we've been living in. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, do you know what, Ross? The thing about it, we were speaking about it the other day yeah. um, at our place at the football club and, if, you know, to, to a certain extent, it's not really had a massive difference to our lives. Yeah. I know we haven't got fans in the stadiums, but every day we still go in and work as normal. Um, you know, where a lot of my friends, a lot of people down the road where I live, you know, they've been sat at home for the last yeah. seven, eight months. Um, yeah. At least we're able to get out and about and do pretty much more of our normal things. So, you know, I don't feel it's greatly affected apart from the initial lockdown.
1: Yeah, because, um, you know, Charlton at the time, they were still in the championship and, you know, you, your season continued and, um, you know, say League That's One, it. League Two finished. So you were able to carry on and, unfortunately, relegation and other different things yep. that came into play there. But um, yep. how was, um, like, going... To away games and stuff I'm sure you know you guys stay over so I'm sure the hotel is always interesting
0: yeah so that's that's where you do notice a difference like yeah. when we we're in the championship we had to we went on two coaches um, yeah. a mini coach and <laughs> then every single member of staff had to drive so literally you had these big VIP coaches mm-hmm. and there was literally about six or seven people on them um, and you know we all had to travel separately, and then you 'll get to the hotels. the hotels were all locked down, no one else was in them you know you'll get served your food in your rooms um it was It was mad, it was mad i, I you know you understand the reasoning behind it, yeah. um, but it was just bizarre you
1: know really bizarre. Yeah, but um yeah, thank you very much for speaking to me for this. Um I'm, I know it's always uh, an interesting one to talk about your time at Norwich and Itchwich, but uh <laughs> it's uh one of those things really. You know, it's a massive thing now cuz I've got Paul Lambert in charge. You know, he was a very successful time at Norwich and unfortunately he's not had so much success at Itchwich, but you know it's happened. Yeah. It's happened.
0: Yeah, well obviously I work with Paul at, at Aston yeah. Villa as well. As yeah, yeah, a player and a, co- and a coach and You know, and Stuart Taylor is number two, and and um, and walks the goalkeeper coach. You know, I know from from playing against him. Um, So, you know, to see to see Ipswich in 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 League One, it it doesn't quite seem right. But um, you know, there's 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 a lot of big clubs in League One at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, Charlton is one of them because you know, when I was growing up, it was you know, Charlton were in the. You know, we're in the Premier League and they were, you know, doing pretty well in the Premier League and, you know, at one stage, because, you know, I'm an Itchish fan, so a lot of yeah. our players were going to Chelton. It was like choltown at the time because we had, like, Matt Holland, well, Darren remember Ben. Were, Herman
0: Haridison. Yeah. Um, you know, you had Darren Bent. You, yeah. you, you, had, you had loads. You had yeah. Four or five, six of them going just constantly, you know. Okay. Matty was going there. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was Matty Holland. There was bundles going there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was like yeah, the ex the ex Ipswich lot over to Charlton.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Um well, we'll get right into it. Um how I start these podcasts is um from your early days, how you, you know, got into football and um how you became a goalkeeper, I'm sure. I dunno, you possibly could have been always a goalie, but sometimes when you grow up as a young kid, that isn't the first position you go and play in, is it? Your goalkeeper's never like, yep, don't want to do that. You no. normally give it to the, no offence to the fat kid or whatever. They go and yeah. go. Um, but for yourself, um, how did you get into football? You know, did you have family or, you know, any friends that just got you into it?
0: The, the village that I was brought up in just in Cambridge, it was, um, it was very heavily involved, involved in football. Only a small village at the time. Um, and I used to play centre half, and so I used to go to, used to be involved in the, you know, the Cubs, which was Cubs yeah. goes into Scouts, you know, um, and we had a football team there, and our goalie left, and inevitably they needed somebody to go and goal, and I just stuck my hand up and I said, yeah, I'll give it a go, yeah. and literally within a year, um, I was spotted by Norwich, went on trial, three week trial over in Finland with with Norwich under tens. And I didn't look back. It just it just progressed from there.
1: That's that's crazy. Going going all the way to Finland for a trial. That is.
0: <laughs> they were taking an under-10s team okay. to to uh, to Finland to play in a tournament oh, um, called yeah. the Cockla Cup, hmm. and they didn't have a goalie. So they said, "Listen, just come along. This can be your trial." I think they needed me to fill a gap. If I look, if I read between the lines. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's not how the academies are these days. You know, you you would have personnel in place. So I went along, and I probably done a little bit better than they thought. We we won the we won the cup, um, and yeah, it it was it's an exceptional exceptional time. But yeah. as a ten year old going out three weeks with um, with people that I'd never met before, no parents, it was it was very daunting. But it was something I really enjoyed,
1: definitely. You said you joined Norwich as a trainee, and you know you're from Bury, Greater Manchester, I think. I think that's correct. That's correct. Um, yep. So yep. going all the way to Norwich, you know, Norwich is a middle of nowhere, really. Um, so that must have been a, a big step for you as a, a young lad.
0: Yeah, no. So you know, I was born in uh, Greater Manchester, but I was actually brought up in Cambridgeshire. But okay. so it was, it was still, it was still a, you know a good hour and a half, two hours that I had to travel, um, and then eventually at the age of sixteen, I, I moved over there. Um, so you know, from the age of age of ten to when I left at twenty seven, I was involved with Norwich City Football Club. So seventeen years in total, and and eleven years living there actually in, in in Norwich itself. And I, I've got to say, eleven years that's um, I fairly thoroughly enjoyed living in the city of Norwich.
1: Yeah. Um. You know, you went on to make your debut there in the Premier League. So playing top flight football. I don't know how old you were then. I should have got my facts right there, but you, I'm sure you're still young at that age. Nineteen, um, boss. It was 19. nineteen. So 19. you know, still young, playing the top flight of you know English football.
0: Yeah, it was. It, it was something as a professional coach. Now I look at, um, and I wasn't ready for it, and mm-hmm. I wasn't. And football was different back in back in the time that I was coming through. You didn't have goalkeeper coaches. But I didn't have a full understanding of what football was all about, let alone goalkeeping. Um, where these days, there's a 19-year-old, 20-year-old lad coming through, you would have a lot better understanding than what I did. Um, I was thrust in the limelight simply because they had no one else to play. Yeah. Um, Brian Gunn had a serious injury, and we weren't able to get anybody else in in time. And, yeah, by, by pure chance, um, on my home debut, got man of the match. So, yeah, it sort of led from there, and... I I ended up playing, I think, 25 games that season in the Premier League, which, um, you know, thrust me into the England limelight for the under-21s at the time. Um, and suddenly you're put on the scene as you're going to be the next great thing that's going to come through as a footballer. Um, and if the truth be known, you have no idea how you're going to cope with it because there wasn't the same sort of support network in the academy or, or in development squads as what there is these days. Um, so it was a little
1: bit trial and error, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's actually one question now you're giving me really about goalkeeping coaching because, you know, I don't know much about you know '90s and '80s of coaching really. But um, so you, that back then there were no goalkeeping coaches. So who would sort of coach you then? Was it just a manager did everything, or did you just as goalkeepers you just helped each other out?
0: you just helped each other out Um, you you would have it back in the day where um, Brian Gunn as a senior first team goalkeeper coach would take a goalkeeping session once a week Mm -hmm. Um, the rest of the time you'd warm up with the team and do what the rest of the team did and you'd just be expected to perform which you look at it now and it's actually crazy that that was what happened. It's literally like asking an outfield player just to come along and do a goalkeeping session every day of the week and be expected to put 10, 15 goals in a season, yeah. in a season um, and perform 90 minutes regularly at his optimum level. You're not going to do it. So, you know, as football's progressed and more money's come into football, the recognition of the goalkeeper has become paramount. And, you know, over the last 10... Ten years in particular um, with the way Pep Guardiola has introduced the goalkeeper into playing out from the back yeah. um, the goalkeepers have become worth their weight in gold
1: definitely and um, I want to bring up you know some of the managers you had at Norwich you had Mike Walker John Dean who also crossed the divide as a player it which had Norwich um, and then Martin O'Neill that was probably his first big job he did really well at Wickham but he went there unfortunately you know, well, fat, town fans will love it because they got relegated from the Premier League, but you know, got relegated from the Premier League. Martin O'Neill came in. Uh, what was he like? You know, you, of course, went with him as well, at Aston Villa.
0: Yeah, Martin was um, a different breed of uh, manager at the time when he yeah. first came into into Norwich and um, working under the the great Brian Clough, um, had many traits that that, um, that the, the great Cloughy he had. Yeah. Um but you know, he only had a short time at, at Norwich. He only had six months. He he felt he was probably mislaid or misled on in in what he was sold at Norwich by the then chairman Robert Chase, um, and very quickly moved on to Leicester. But um, in the in the period of time that I worked with him, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with him. Um, he made an impact on me um, as footballs evolved. You know, Martin's Martin's outlook of football is is you know, as evolved as well. And I was fortunate that towards the end of my career, he then took me into Aston Villa um, at the latter stages to be, to be part of his, part of his team there. Um, and again, you know, you're joining a fantastic club in Aston Villa. So yeah, he was, he, he was a very good manager. And like you said, I, I worked under the lights of Mike Walker, Dave Stringer, um, Nigel Worthington, Brian Hamilton, again, another Ips- Ipswich, yeah. um, Ipswich player. And yeah, all of them, I, I I got on with all the managers really well, and one thing I would always say about myself, I, I gave every manager everything I possibly could do. Whether I was good enough, that was something else. But I gave them everything I could have done. And um, you know, one particular manager stands out in Bruce Riach who, who I had a particularly good time with. And um, you know, I had a fairly enjoyable time working with Bruce and, and Brian Hamilton as his number two at the time.
1: Definitely, and you know, you were part of the season in your last season there, and. I'm going to go back a few more years before that. Um, it's it's not a good memory, really, to bring up for you. Um, you were, of course, in, in goal for the Destruction Derby, which was been labelled for, you know, <laughs> it's fans. Uh, Alex Matty, first half hat-trick, Bobby Petter scoring two other goals. But, uh, yep. of course, uh, your memories from that game, not a good daily office for yourself.
0: <laughs> One I want to try and forget, until yeah. people like you keep bringing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, No, listen, it's, yeah, as you say, it's, uh, it will be something that lives in the, in the hearts and minds of the, you know, the hard, hard Ipswich fans for, for many a year. And, um, Ipswich, Ipswich were in a good place at that time. Um, you know, they were continually pushing for promotion, um, just missing out on, on in the playoffs. Um, and and they were a strong side and Alex Maffey was going through a rich vein of form at, at, at that moment. Um, so, yeah, we weren't in a good place at Norwich. Uh, you know, I remember going into the game thinking I didn't feel too confident going into this game. It just didn't feel right. Mm. Sometimes you just get this almost sixth sense of how you can feel how a game's going to go. And it just didn't feel right. And you're you trying, you're trying, you try to to put that negative force to the back of your mind. But you also can't help the fact of something just didn't feel right. And unfortunately, it really didn't go right that day for us. Definitely. And what made it even worse was I conceded five goals and then I got drug tested afterwards. Oh, um, so I ended up spending another two and a half hours at Portman Road right, oh, no. waiting to do my drug test. So, um, yeah, it was a very bad day for me
1: in total. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Yeah, you know, as I said, you were you a player of the season in your last season and, um, you know, you're going out of contract as well. So, you know, having a fantastic season then. You know, were you just looking for the future in terms of, like, you want to be going back to the Premier League? And, of course, issues town. You know, was the the place you went to? Uh, how did that sort of come about? You know, it's a big move because the rivalry.
0: Yeah, it, it, and it was a big move. Um, I spent a long time at Norwich, and as I, as I previously stated, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself there, not only at the football club but in the city. But they reached a the point where you want to push yourself. I got player of the season. I'd been continually getting better year on year on year. And as you say, I wanted to go back to the Premier League. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to 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 go to that extra level. And, you know, the opportunity of Richard going, Richard Wright going to Arsenal, it, you know, that was one of only a few clubs that really came up. And it was a great opportunity to go to the Premier League and to be playing in a team that was going to be going into Europe. So it was an opportunity that I looked at and I, and I knew I was going to take a lot of stick for it. Yeah. I knew it could go one way or the other. And... You know, I, I took the chance. Me being me, you know, I backed myself. I'm quite stubborn that way, and I thought, you know what, I've, I've got to give this a go. It's too good an opportunity to turn down. Um, so yeah, I, I made the choice and I, and I made the move in 2001.
1: Were you um, were you still living in Norwich for a while, or did you come down here? Because I'm sure if you were walking around Norwich, some fans would go, you know, I oh, the Andy Marshall just left us to go up there.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I in my football I've always sort of gone lock, stock, and barrel. Whenever I yeah. go somewhere, I, I, I move full heartedly. Yeah. Um, football's a career where you can't do it sort of half heartedly, you can't sort of dip your toe in because um, you inevitably will fail if, if that happens. So, no, I, I, I moved though immediately. Cool.
1: Well, um, of course, George Burley was the man that brought you in. Um, was he, you know, what was he like as a man? Of course, he's, you know, a legend at the club, um, but, you know, did he? Straight away, tell you what his plans were for you, and you know yep. Richard Wright, as you said, was leaving to go to Arsenal, so you were going to likely be the number one.
0: Yeah, yeah, basically that, and and um and George was great. George was fantastic towards me as as a as a man, as a coach. Um, I thoroughly enjoy working working with George. Um, and and the time I had, and you know, unfortunately, at the end, and you know, he he departed the football club. It, it was a sad occasion for me because he was he was the man that brought me into the football club, and you feel a, a sense of failure when when a manager loses their job, who 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 brought you in, um, and and you do, and you know, if you've got anything about you as a person and a professional person, you do feel a, a, a sense of 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 responsibility towards that.
1: Mm. Which um which players sort of helped you settle in you know of course they'll be thinking you know you're coming from a rival team but with players you know you just welcome players in but um yeah. you know which sort of players sort of helped you? No, listen, all
0: all the players at Ipswich were great at the time. You you know you had a big you had a big character in Jim Magilton and Jim just broke the ice very easily. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, very very big character within him, but everyone was good. You know, um. We had a lot of good players at the time, and we also in that summer we had quite a few players come in, uh, new players because obviously the European run that we were going to go on, and the games that we we're going to go and have. So there was, there was you know, there's quite a few few new players coming in. You know, as in likes of Finidi, George, and people like that. Matteo Sorrenti came in as well. Um, so no, the the club is a friendly club, and and it was a club that was it was run by the players, and the players made sure everything was done right. So. You know, they accepted you and brought you into the football club as you needed to be brought in. But, you know, somebody that I got on quite, you know, very well with and who I still speak to these days, uh, Mark Venus. Mm. Um, he lived very close to where I live. So we used to spend a lot of time together.
1: That's, that's cool. Um, of course, you know, you had some injury setbacks. Like when I was doing some research on this and I c- couldn't remember back then, but, you know, you didn't play until January because you had them injuries. You know, Shirini came yeah. in. Um, so what was going on back then?
0: Yeah, no, I was brought in, um, but I had, I had, um, it was basically, it's called a neural Um I had a neural psoas injury, which basically was pulling my my, my spine over to one side. Wow. Um I, I got it after about three three and a half weeks of being at the football club, um, and they couldn't diagnose what the problem was, and that was the real issue. Once it was diagnosed, and they found out what the problem was it was actually quite quickly remedied within about two or three weeks. But in that time, Matteo was brought in um, because well, the first game of the season was coming in it was Sunderland. Yeah. And Matteo came in and, and he'd and he done well and he, and he did do well. And he, he was a big character, um, but I think he found it quite difficult with the amount of games we were playing coming from Italian football um, to playing you know, your Saturdays and your Tuesdays or when we were in Europe playing your Saturdays, Sundays and your Thursdays. I think he found it quite difficult to to learn how to deal with that and you know eventually I think that took its toll on him and his performances maybe started to dip a little bit.
1: Definitely and you know you must've been frustrated that getting injured you know town fans are probably waiting to jump on you when you're making your debut because you're coming from Norwich but you, yep. know, you didn't go on to make your debut until the Spurs game it was a win against Spurs so that must've been good for yourself your home debut and you know getting a win against a big side.
0: It was um I played I played the uh the, oh, cup, the game, Red course. cup game, yeah. yeah, the week I think it was the week before in the yeah. FA Cup. Uh I th- I think we won it two nil. Yeah. I think we did. Um so and that went well and I, I you know, I think George probably looked at it and thought Mateo needed a bit, you know, maybe needed to come out of a bit of a break and saw that as an opportunity. The game went well for myself. And as you say, the home game against Spurs I played and um, again, the, the the game went well, and and I, I had a decent game, and I started to get a run in the team. Then, and you know, it coincided that we started to pick up a few results, and we started to shift up the table a little bit.
1: Can you remember what the reaction were with fans when you you know came out to warm up and you know playing? They were brilliant.
0: Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Because uh, you know I I was nervous about it, I, yeah. and I was you know I'm a very conscious person as a professional, as a footballer, I was very conscious about. You know, um, doing the right things and and not wanting to fail, and the the fans were great towards me. And uh, the, the way the game went, it, it it went very very well, and it sort of endeared me initially to the fans, and, and I was grateful for that.
1: Because yeah, as you said, you know we were getting some results. So I was got the results here up here. You know, the next game was Derby, a three-one win. Um, we lost in the FA Cup. We won't, won't talk about that, but we beat <coughs> beat, Wooden, won, uh, beat Fulham one nil at home, and then. Go to Goodison Park and get an amazing result against Everton two one. So, you know you've got a good winning run at the moment in the league.
0: Yeah, as you know, as I, as I said, things things started to pick up, and you know I come into the team and and results were going our way, and you're starting to think, okay, this this is looking good. Um, yeah, it's, but football is one thing. It, it, when at it least expects it, or when you you know you least think it's going to happen football will give you a kick up the backside and, and bite you when you least expect it and that's one thing you learn that when you've been in the game particularly as long as I've been in it now um, you're, the, you're always one result away from from it potentially
1: going wrong which um, unfortunately was the next game after Everton um, a 6-0 defeat against Liverpool at home um, never good for a goalkeeper to concede goals You know it's not always your fault but of course you're in goal you're conceding these goals but you know the memories of that game. I'm sure it's not great. It's
0: um, it, it is and it's not. I and mean, when you concede six goals, it's, it's never good. And that was the first time, and the I think maybe the only time I've ever conceded six goals. Um, but ironically, I actually got man of the match that game. Yeah. <laughs> that that was the irony of the whole thing. And I can remember going in and being presented with it from John Walk afterwards. And I'm and I'm looking at him going, "What the hell's just happened?" Yeah. you know this is absolutely crazy I've been given man of the match we conceded six goals you know um, Liverpool were in a good place and, and they were and um, you know you think we've gone on a run of winning a few games we pulled ourselves out of the relegation we're starting to move up the table and then we go and get smacked uh, six by Liverpool
1: Yeah and uh, you know you, there's another game against Liverpool which was the final game of the season which saw us relegated um, a 5-0 defeat Anfield uh, Never. Bad defeat, but um what, what was your, you know, memories of just us seeing relegation?
0: Yeah, and yeah, and, 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 and that is you know that that's the harsh reality of of this sport is that it, it will bite you on on the backside when you least expect it. Yeah. You know, when you think things are, are gonna turn around, it's gonna go well, that's then when it kicks you. And um yeah, unfortunately it ended the season, as you say, with the five nil against Liverpool, um with a defeat.
1: And before I move on to some other stuff at town, I want to quickly bring up, you know, your time, you know, f- plan for England's, um, you know, at youth level. Who was sort of in your age group back then?
0: So at uh, 18s, we had um, we won the European Cup, and we had uh, the likes of um, Darren Caskey, Sol Campbell, Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes, oh, wow. Gary Neville. Um, you know, we, we had a uh, an array of top, top players that all every single player went on to have a, a top career in, in professional football. Um, and then I moved on to, the, the, the as it was then, the 21s and the likes of Gary Neville, Phil Neville. Um, then the likes of uh, Gary went up to the first team and Paul Scholes the same and then Nicky Butt the same. Chris Casper came in from Man United. Um, a certain David Beckham then yeah. joined us, <laughs> yeah. who... When we first started playing, you know, with the 18s, he wasn't good enough to get in the England under 18s. Um, you know, that's the irony. You know, David actually missed out when they picked the team. David was one of the like the peripheral players that that, that missed out on that on that tour. Um, which is, you know, you look at now and you think it's crazy, but yeah. that is that is what happens in football. So uh, I was fortunate. I, I was very fortunate at a young age to play with some exceptionally good footballers who went on to have top top careers. Um, you know and I was fortunate the times that I played in the premier league and the times that I've coached I've come back up against these people um you know because a lot of them have stayed in football
1: yeah definitely and of course you, you know you played against man united um for richwich um and you know paul's goals I think played in that game um I've got the team up yep. now. I don't think David Beckham was playing, but you had Phil Neville. So you're coming up against these, you know, players. You know, you all grown up now in a way. You know, this is probably yeah. ten years prior to that. So yeah, yeah, that must be a good experience.
0: No, listen, they're, they're fantastic experiences. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, you know, I repeat myself. You don't fully realise what they all are until you you sit back at your end of your career and you and you do think about it because at the time you literally just go from one game to one training session to one game and, and that's how your life is as a footballer and that's not trying to be um, derogatory in any way about anything. It, it's just how you are because you're so wrapped up in it and it moves and evolves so quickly.
1: Definitely. Okay, of course, go back to your town career and uh, Joe Raw, of course came in. Um, George got sacked and Joe came in. Of course, another person who crossed the it was a Norwich Divide because he was a Norwich player back in his playing yeah. career and now he's becoming town manager. Uh, what was your first reaction when Joe came in? Did you know much about him?
0: I, I, yeah, I obviously knew about Joe yeah. Um And, you know, one thing you know about Joe, Joe Royal around that time was that Joe, Joe would make something successful. Mm-hmm. Um, we You know, at Ipswich at the time, we we were going through a little bit of a tough time. We were just about middle of the table, I believe. Um and you know Joe's going to come in and and turn the club around and start picking up results, um, but it became very clear that I wasn't going to be suited towards Joe, Joe Raw, um, and Joe was great with me. There was there was no animosity, no you know there was there was nothing. There was no bad word said, and it was just very clear. He just said, "Listen, you're not for me." It's just, it's just as it's just as clear as that. It's just as simple as that. Um, and he you know, he treated me with respect, he treated me the right way, I did things the right way, I went in every day, I worked hard, just got my head down, um, he brought Kelvin Davis in, and uh, Kelvin, again, um, a very good friend of mine who I used to, to play with, with, with England, um, and we came through a similar age group, so Kelvin was brought in and done a very good job, and I just came in, worked every day, club treated me right, I treated the club right. And eventually the, the situation arose that I was able to get out and go to, to Millwall on loan. Um, so, you know, it didn't end the way I wanted it to end at Ipswich. Um, it's a great club, a proper good club. And, you know, I, I remember back to the, to the Premier League when I was playing there and the fans that were there and you're getting just short 30,000 turn up. The noise that they made is phenomenal. And, you know, to see the club have gone down how it's gone down, it's sad, you know, it is sad because I was there when it was going through some very good times.
1: Definitely. And You know, before we get, move on to Millwall and the FA Cup final, I want to bring up, of course, your return to Carrow Road in that 2-0 town win against Norwich. Um, yeah, that is a, you know, that was a massive game for you because that's probably the first time you are going back to Norwich. You know, we played them pre- prior in, at home in a 1-1 draw, but this is your return to Carrow Road and I'm sure, you know, Norwich fans were not Pleased uh, to see you return. No, they weren't.
0: They weren't yeah. best pleased, and I don't think they've ever been best pleased to see me since. Because <laughs> I think every time I've gone there, I've never been defeated. So, and yeah. um, predominantly, usually beaten, beaten Norwich. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, everyone at Ipswich was great, and how they dealt with the situation. You know, they knew what was going to come my way. They knew the animosity that was shown against me. Um, I understood the animosity that was going to come my way. And, you know, I took a lot of grief that that day and many subsequent days since. Um, But all it ever did was inspire me to play and perform to a higher level. So, you know, I used to embrace situations like that. You can sink or swim. And to me, it always used to, you know, endear me to to want to perform at a higher level. But the way the the lads were with me, and as you state, the first game that we... um, that we went back, though, we won two nil, and the way that the, uh, the 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 players were, they knew how much that would have meant to me, and um, yeah, I, I thank them for for pulling that two nil result off for us.
1: Yeah, because um, you, you know, you celebrated pretty wildly, you know, you know of course. As a goalkeeper, you you, you can't really go away from the fans because you're in the goal. Both goals yeah. are behind, pretty much Norwich fans. So you were always going to get stick, even if you know you were away from them. So um, and of course that that day, Dean Bodić came on the scene and he, you know, as a very young seventeen-year-old or sixteen-year-old, I think, at the time, he um, had a, a game of his life and uh, yeah, a great win.
0: Yeah, no, it's it was one of those where even getting off the coach, mm. there was thousands of fans that turned up just because they wanted to give me the stick and the grief. And when I went out to warm up, you know, the the, the end behind the goal was practically full. Mm. Now, that never happens, you know, an hour before kick-off when the goalie's going to go out and warm up. There might be a few people out there. This was practically full. And it was there. And every single ball that was kicked, I caught, anything that I dropped, anything, I was just getting caned for. So... um. All it did was make me focus and 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 get more attention to what I needed to do, and um, it really did drive me on. And you know that is one thing that I can look back on, and I think you know what I'm I'm proud of what I did on that and how I dealt with that situation because it it was very intimidating. The fans were very intimidating towards me, Um, but you know I was able. For all the work that I've done in my career on, on on how I train and how I play, I was able to pull on all them resources and get me through that game.
1: Definitely, you know, there's one thing what you're probably happy about was you know there's there wasn't social media properly back then, so you know I'm yeah. sure there would have been a lot of stuff going on on social media. I know probably as players you sort of take that away, don't bother looking at it at that time when it's a derby or a whatever thing because you know you don't want it to affect you. I'm sure you wouldn't have bothered with it.
0: No, I would have. I would have stayed away from it. Yeah. Um, but you are right. Um, that wasn't around, particularly nowhere near what it is these days. Yeah. And um, whether that would have rallied it any more, I'm not sure because it was pretty vicious anyway. But um, I look back on it, and it, I, don't, I look back on it with a wry smile on my face because um, I went back to Norwich a couple of years ago and I played in uh, in a charity game against um, against Inter Milan, and um, there was a good twenty thousand fans there and. You know, it started off very anti-me, but by the end of it, I think they appreciate what I was doing. You know, the fact I went back there—it was for a charity. It was to raise money, and at the end of it, we put all those all that aside and we deal with what the actual cause is all about. And um, it was it was good to clear the
1: air on that one. Yeah, I'm sure you're just hoping for another player to cross the divide, so then you're <laughs> not the only one. Because it's you know, as I said, it has happened before, like John Dean did it. Um, yep. and I think Trevor Putney as well in the 80s, but That's it. Um, That's it. there's no one really else. But So maybe one day, uh, I don't know, <laughs> we'll wait and see. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, of course, we'll move on to your, your loan spell to Millwall. And uh, during that time, you know, Dennis Wise was the player manager, and uh, you had a little trip to play in the FA Cup final against Maynard, Um, unfortunately on the losing side, but... You know, I think it's anybody's dream, boyhood dream, to play an FA Cup final. You know, if you lose it, it's one of those things. But what an experience for you, at being, being a lone player as well.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. I'd just yeah. gone from <laughs> from one local rival to another, and all the grief that I'd got, and I played in the local derby, and all the grief that I was getting this that way, and everything from all the fans. And I thought, right, okay, I now need a fresh challenge, and Millwall comes up. The reputation of their fans and you're thinking, yeah. oh, my God, do I really want this? Um, and I'm thinking to myself, really, I, I, I'm not sure this is going to be right. Anyway, I went down, I met Dennis and and, um, and Ray Wilkins, God bless his soul, and um, had a good chat with them. We went through everything and straight away, you just warmed to the place. You just warmed to, to them, what they're all about. And it's very similar to what we're trying to build at Charlton at this moment in time. And it just had a real good feel factor about it. And and then when I started playing for Millwall and the way the fans were to me, and they just did, uh, they endeared me. And, you know, I'd done well for them. And we got to the cup final that year and we were up against it. We had three of our main players out. And, you know, you're playing Man United anyway. And as you stated, uh, we ended up losing 3-0. But um, it was probably one of my best times that I enjoyed playing football. Was at Millwall, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, there was just something about it, the way the whole thing was, and it, and it just—I I was just endeared by it.
1: Yeah, it's—it's um, it's crazy to think, you know, that, you know, Millwall were in a championship at, at that point. So getting to the FA Cup final is an amazing achievement, anyway. Because you know, now it's normally the top six that normally get into the final. You know, this year was Arsenal, and oh, I have forgotten the team already. Man City uh, was it? Man City, I think. Yeah. So that is normally. You know, Wigan, of course, and Portsmouth have won it. You know, recently, yeah. you know, them sort of names, but you know, Millwall to get to a, you know, a final of the FA Cup is just, just it wouldn't happen probably now.
0: Well, all the sayings came out when we when we got to the final. You know, from yeah. the only fools and horses and granddad saying, yeah. you know, making the statement, yeah, well, it's like man, you live, uh, Millwall winning the FA Cup final. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that all came out, and um, but you you got to remember at the time. Well, yeah, we were fortunate in some of the draws that we had, mm-hmm. um, but you've also got to remember at the time we just missed out on the playoffs, and it was only the distraction of the FA Cup that made us miss out on the play- on the playoffs to go to go to the Premier League. So we had a pretty decent side. Um, it weren't like we were mugs, you know. It, it, we weren't a poor side. We were a decent side. But as you state, um, it, it's, it's predominantly Premier League teams that will get there. Definitely.
1: Yeah, you know, you had a good couple of seats. You said you're maybe one of your best times in your career playing for Millwall. And, um, you know, you're there for a few seasons. And I've just got some stats up here. Of, um, I'm seeing a few red cards. Um, uh, what? How? Do you, can you remember any of those?
0: I can't actually, know. No. I, I got a few red cards. Oh, there was um, one at Reading, I think. Yeah, can 23 I minutes. Yeah, I, I remember that one. I think I came flying out. And uh, I think I might have took the man rather than the ball, which... Um, yeah, I think it endeared me even more to the Millwall fans because, <laughs> you know, the be- next best thing to them winning a game of football is the player getting aggressive and, you know, causing some problems. Um, and that's what Millwall fans are like. So, um, yeah, it, it sort of suited the way that I like to play anyway. You know, I was quite forthright and quite aggressive in, in my nature and manner of, of playing. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember that one against Reading away. Um, I can't remember any more, but I've had a few career, uh, red cards in my career.
1: Definitely, in there. Before we, of course, unfortunately, you know, you suffer relegation um, with Millwall to League One. Um, but what was it like having sort of Dennis Wise? Because at the time he was like a player manager. Um, yeah, that must Den, have been interesting.
0: Den was great. Um, yeah. he, he, was, he was fantastic. He, the way that he was about everything. But there was, there was issues within Millwall. And you always knew that if it wasn't going to be invested at the right time, it could go the wrong way. And when Dennis realised there wasn't going to be an investment, he stepped aside and walked away. And at that point, as senior players thought, we're in for trouble here. We're, yeah. We know this is going to go seriously wrong. And this this, this new chairman came in and, um, instead of investing into the club, actually started to strip the club of the better players. And we ended up with basically a, a second-string side, um, and it became you we know, became quite inevitable a little bit to a certain extent how with what happened at Charlton um, last season um, when it just shows if you don't get the right investment and, and you don't support the the manager the right way, the inevitable will happen, and that that is what happens in football
1: definitely and you know your next spell was at Coventry um, you know you played under Ian Dowie and also Chris Coleman. Um, what were they like as managers
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Um, Mickey Adams brought me in of course. and um, and when Mickey moved on um, Ian came in and Ian's what a character just full yeah. of life um, got on ever so well with Ian um, but unfortunately it didn't work out for him there was again ownership issues within the football club at, at Coventry and promises were made and eventually it was the right thing for Ian, Ian to move on and, and then Chris Coleman came in and um, an absolute phenomenal man an absolute fantastic man and very knowledgeable in the game of football um, but is the way his demeanor the way he conducted himself um, a proper proper gentleman
1: of course you must have been you know pleased to see him do so well for Wales, you know yeah. doing, you know taking them that far in the, that tournament
0: yeah no that 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 was great to see not only what could be classed as one of the you know. I don't want to say lesser countries, but you know one of the ones that has not been so successful. Um, but but for 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 Chris to do that, it was it was phenomenal.
1: Definitely. And uh, then your next move was to Premier League side Aston Villa. Cause at that stage of your career, you know at Coventry was the last time you probably played games. But um, yeah. you joined Aston Villa, and did you feel? I think I've got my right. You were going to think about you're going into your coaching, but you're still happy to be. Be around being a, as signing on as a player still because you you know you're still at that age where you want to continue playing if you needed because um, your goalkeepers can go on until you're forty 40 plus sometimes so um how that move sort of come about
0: yeah I think I think that's a fair reflection is yeah. that I knew I was coming towards the back end of my career um, what I didn't personally want to do was. Um, and it's it's no disrespect to anybody, but I didn't want to start to become a journeyman and travel mm. around and go from club to club to club. I wanted to try and finish my career off as high as possible. Um, you know I'd worked hard all my career and and you know uh, that's what I wanted to try and do. and the opportunity at Aston Villa came up with Martin O'Neill. We, we knew each other, so um, it was a great opportunity for me initially i didn't think wasn't so much thinking about um the coaching position but mm-hmm. the longer I, time i spent at aston villa um they must have recognized some qualities within me within within potentially coaching they started to involve me with the uh with the under 23s um not only just doing the goalkeeping but also actually in the team team um selections and and on match days um and it was great experiences for me. And at that point, then I realised I'm going to start transitioning from playing into the coaching side of it and start learning. And I started taking my badges and I started doing the coaching in the evening at Aston Villa, doing coaching the young goalies. Um, and it was all fantastic experiences for me because what it allowed me to do was almost jump ahead a little bit of myself rather than having to wait on my end of my football career and then start doing the coaching at the lower levels as in the younger age groups I was able to sort of jump through that because I was doing it while I was still playing Um, and as a player you know you have a lot more credibility towards the other young goalkeepers because you know all of a sudden you've got a professional footballer coaching you so it enabled me to jump forward very very quickly and fast forward my coaching and doing my badges at the same time, that almost by the time it actually came and was thrust upon me, yeah. I wouldn't say I was ready, but I was almost ready. Yeah. Um, you know, I look at where I'm at now, and I look at where I was four years ago as a coach, and it's night and day. Yeah. But it put me in a position that I could cope and could deal with the actual coaching side of it.
1: Yeah. Of course, you know, you had you know ex- some experienced goalkeepers to, to work with at, you know Aston Villa as well. Your experienced goalkeeper, you had like Brad Friedel and Shay Given, who came in as well. Yeah, um, and I
0: think and I think that that's that's key to what helped me become relatively yeah. successful very early in my coaching was was having them senior boys because if I did make a mistake, they would know I'd made a mistake, yeah. but they would be smart enough and they would be experienced enough to rectify it themselves. So i was very fortunate to have them guys though at that moment in time and you know shay's now working at derby and is a good friend of mine and we and we speak regular um you know and if he can become half a half a coach of what he did as a player he, he will have a pretty decent career as well
1: definitely and you mentioned it earlier you know paul lambert became you know villa manager when you were still sort of playing in the playing side of it um What was your relationship with him you know early then of course he brought you back in as a goalkeeping coach as well
0: yeah the irony is that paul actually got rid of me as a player so i'm thinking oh (laughs) jesus thanks yeah fair cheers so no and i got i got on really well with paul as a player and i was thinking okay when it comes to renew my contract he's like you know sorry son (laughs) you're going (laughs) and and then he brought jed steer in from norwich Mm -hmm. so i'm like jesus christ and then Six months later, eight months later, he then calls me up and says, listen, Marsh, do you want to come back and be goalkeeper coach? So I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. So I get that opportunity. And then subsequently, as I've moved on and gone on, I've actually then taken Jed Steer to Charlton. Um, You know, the guy who actually nicked my spot as a player, I've now actually taken him on loan. Um, So, no, it, it, it worked out really well. I had a good time and I was fortunate that in that short time, um as a coaching uh, as a first team coach, um I, I I got to work with Roy King for six months yes. and you know and working alongside him and seeing him as a character and, and seeing how he works, it's an eye-opener. And you know, for any young coach out there, and myself I'm still a young coach, but the more experiences that you can have working with different people and finding out how they operate, I can only say it can only help you because yeah. You just try and take all their qualities, and you take all their little bits of their qualities, and and how they operate, and and if you can surround yourself with people that have become successful in what they do, I've been quite fortunate. I've worked with some successful managers, you know, Martin and Neil Gerard Hulier, you know, they've had they've had good careers. I now work with Lee Bowyer, who's who's had an exceptional career as as a as a as a, as a player, and, and I'm sure you will do as a manager. And if you can surround yourself with people like this it can only help open your eyes to doing things the right way.
1: Definitely. You know, you've got a nice win, one win as a manager or interim manager with Scott Marshall. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What was that experience like? You know, of course, Tim Sherwood was, you know, in the stands anyway, but I'm sure that was, you know, a very interesting experience in the FA Cup against Leicester at Villa Park as well. You won, so happy days. Yeah.
0: No, it was, it was, it was fantastic. It was a great experience for myself and Scott and, I I have to remember it was only that was only like seven months into my into my coaching career, and you know to be thrust and asked to do that it was like wow. Um, All of a sudden you're taking responsibility for all these people, and the game on Saturday it's your responsibility. Um, And Scott Marshall was fantastic. You know he helped me. He helped me through that. He was more experienced as a coach than me, so he predominantly led it. Um, but I was supporting him, but it was it was a fantastic experience, and to then go on and then work with our with our first team at Villa again, and then work with our twenty threes at Villa, and then keep dipping my toe in and out at Aston Villa, a club which I hold dear to my heart. It was it was it was great. But the best thing I learned from that was when I came to Charlton and was able to transition. And at the time, Charlton were were in League One, and to come to the football club and. Be part of help, starting to revolutionise it and and change it and change its outlook. It was great, and I got all that all that um, all that knowledge and put help put Charlton, you know, where it's at this moment in time. Through the work I've got from from Aston Villa, you know, I've taken all that knowledge and the people I've worked with there, and it's if I hadn't have had that, I wouldn't know half the stuff I know at this yeah. moment in time.
1: Was you, you know, you retired at thirty eight, I think, or thirty nine. Um, you know, you had that brief little spell return to Millwall. Um, but did you just feel that was your time up and you were definitely now fully focused on your coaching?
0: Well, when I left Aston Villa, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was thirty eight and I was desperately trying to get to forty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I went to Millwall and the opportunity came there for me to, to go and train there and then, you know, there was a couple of injuries, so I was able to get involved. But fundamentally just before my 39th birthday, old injuries caught up with me. And when when you get to 39 years old nearly and you're climbing out of bed and you're having to crawl along the floor because your back's gone, um, you start looking at your quality of life to what you're sacrificing that quality of life for. And it just wasn't worth it. If I was 27, 28 or 21, you'd say, yes, it is worth it. But when you're nearly 39, you've had your career, you're putting yourself through hell. Your family's suffering because of it. You've got to, you've got to knock it on the head at some point and realize your time's done. And and that's and that was the time when I got out of bed um, that morning, and I went into the training ground at Millwall, and I played in a in a game, an in house game, and I said to myself, I'm going to give it till half time, and if it's no good, that's me done. Okay got to half-time and I turned around to the goalkeeping coach at Millwall, Kevin Pressman, and I said that's me, I'm finished. And he looked at me and he went, what were you on about? I said, I can't do it anymore. I said, the injuries are caught up with me. And he said, listen take a couple of days off, have a think about it. He was great with me, Kevin Pressman. So I did, and I called him up and I said, sorry Kev, but you know that's me, I, Time time's caught up with me. And that was my career done, and I moved on. And yeah, I took a little bit of time out before I got the call from Paul Lambert and and went in coaching. So, yeah, no regrets. No regrets on anything. That's the good. move to Ipswich, no regrets. You know, everything that I've done in my football career, I've done 100%. I've given it everything. Um, if I was successful, I was successful through hard work. If I failed, I failed because I simply wasn't good enough. Because I'd never fail because I've not done it the right
1: way. Brilliant. Well, um, I want to just ask you a few more questions if that's asked the right review, um of course you know did you ever were you that sort of player that would take you know get shirts from different you know players and stuff like that
0: there's a few I've got yep. and I've got them all framed up um mm-hmm. yeah, I've got people like David Siemens and yeah. uh got Gigi g buffon from from years of ago f- when I played against him um yeah the, 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 there are a few I wouldn't get loads mm-hmm. um no, I wasn't one of them that every game I had to get it because i I'd be too focused on on the game and mm-hmm. it sounds little bit obnoxious and it wasn't being obnoxious it's just because I was so focused on just playing the game or yeah. if I lost then I'd be too be too peed off to be honest to yeah. go and ask him. so yeah I've, I've got a few I have got a few I've got a few framed up in my house um, and I've got a few put away I've actually got I've got a favourite actually um, and it's not it's not a uh, it's not a football one it's actually a racing one it's Michael Schumacher's oh
1: cool.
0: um, a signed Michael Schumacher one which is all framed up from his racing days oh
1: brilliant well, um, of course, you know you're now at Charlton. Um, you know they've had you've had the ups and downs there because you know you got promoted to the to the championship, and then last season with you know COVID and stuff and and you know other things going on. You know got relegated. Um, but your first season there, you won promotion, so that must have been a great time as a a coach to be part of that situation. How did that sort of come about, the Charlton sort of thing?
0: Yeah. So. Um, I've been out of work for after I left Aston Villa. I'd been out of work for about seven, eight months, and I'd gone on a holiday. And I'd applied for a job at Arsenal to work at uh, in work within their academy in their development squad because I, I was going mad. I needed to get a job. Yeah, um, literally got a phone call on holiday saying that I wasn't uh, I, I wasn't successful in it, and I was literally I was quite down on, and I really was down because, uh, you know. I, I was just desperately wanting to get back and work. Uh, you know, me sitting around every day, it's not healthy. And, I, yeah, it was, it, you know, I was really, really down. And then literally two days later, I got a text from, as I stated earlier, my good friend Shay Givens, stating that Lee had called him up, Lee Bowyer, asking did he know a goalkeeper coach, because his goalkeeper coach had just left um, Lee Turner to go to, to Millwall, and Shay had put my name forward. So Lee had texted me um knowing that i was on holiday and we arranged to meet up when i got back i had a meeting with him Uh, a week later i had a meeting with the team as in like the coaching team um and a couple of days after that i was i was told that i was that i got the job um i'd known lee for a long time um from playing with him back in england days um but we hadn't seen each other for a very very long time and yeah it just sort of went from there and I had to get to know how he wanted to work and he needed to get myself, get to know myself, how I worked, and Johnny Jackson, the assistant manager, and Steve Gallen, the um, the recruitment. And we all needed to get to know how each other worked. And within that, we're fighting against an owner that didn't want the football club. We're fighting against a football club in disarray. We're, we've got fans. You know, the first game of the season, I remember it clearly. And I, I stood on the sidelines with Johnny Jackson, the assistant manager, and I said, John, this is a fantastic stadium," I said. "But there's no one here," he said. Marsh. He said, "You want to see this place when it's when it's rocking?" He says, "It's something else." He says honestly, and I'm standing. I'm thinking, "You're joking." It, it literally felt like there was tumbleweeds blowing across the field, and there was no one there. But there was like nine thousand fans, and this was the first game of the season. And uh, and I'm thinking, you know, how is this? How are we going to turn this around? The club's in absolute disarray. You know, the next game was the next home game of the sea. Next home game. You know, the fans were protesting. They're throwing crisp packets on the pitch. And you're thinking, we've got no chance. We've got no chance. They're throwing crisp packets on the, on the pitch in protest against the owner. The owner's not one in the football club. And there's huge fractions within the football club. And we're having to try and gel all this together. Anyway, it's gone on and on and on. We've become a little bit successful. We get a role. Anyway, from going from 9,000 fans the first game of the season, we get to the last game of the season, which is... The, the playoff game, the second playoff game, and we've sold out. We've got 27,500 people there. We win it on penalty shootout. There's a pitch invasion, and we go to Wembley and win that to get promoted. And the point I'm trying to raise is we, we, we built all this literally against all odds. In the championship, again, it was against all odds, and everything was thrown at us. And unfortunately, on the last day we got relegated, we've now got an owner at Charlton in Thomas Sangard, who is desperate to support us and desperate for the club to do well. So it can only give us the best opportunity to try and rebuild this football club how it needs to be rebuilt. And, you know, and part of that is the knowledge that I've got from the background of the work that I've done, Lee's knowledge in 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 professional football and the staff that we've got around us, you know, and they're doing things the right way. And it's great from our point of view to have such support for once
1: definitely Were were you ever at a stage where you were like you know worried about your job or you know cuz lee was always on the you know I remember it was Lily every day It was like will he go will he will he stay you know and you know he, he came in there as a caretaker and he's done a fantastic job um, of course he had a little spell itch which as well as a player so yeah. you know he's got that connection there but um you know I'm sure you probably didn't want that earlier in your coaching career but you know you're, they're doing okay now as you say you've got a new owner so you know hopefully the way's up now
0: i think I think the thing about the industry that I'm involved in and any football person involved in this industry, you're only a few games away from the sack mm-hmm. and you are, and it's the harsh reality. And that's what drives you on as a football coach and a footballer. You you know, it, it might sound crude. It might sound that I'm being negative. It's not. It's just the harsh reality of, of this job. Unfortunately, I, you know, we're speaking today and, and Sam Ricketts at, at Shrewsbury has lost his job as the manager. You know, they're second bottom. It's it's a results industry. It's a ruthless industry that we work within. And all the young players that I, that I coach and I bring through, as well as working with the first team, you try and stress this to them as much as possible. This is a ruthless, ruthless industry. There's not many industries as ruthless as this, that they, they build you up so much, that they make so much of you, but they will kick you and spit you out. And it is a ruthless industry. And when you come to terms with how vicious it can be then you won't be disappointed and you won't be upset by what it can do to you because you you know as i stated you're only a few games away from from losing your job in this industry
1: Definitely, and, you know, for for a goalkeeper, that's you know only that's just the one position that can be filled. You know, you, you're going to have to be a backup, or you have to leave. Like, you know, um, it must be good for yourself to see, you know, a young goalkeeper in Dillard Phillips. He's gone to to Cardiff. You know, had a good spell at um, Charlton, and now um, he's gone there. You know, I'm sure there's some other good, promising, you know, goalkeepers coming through at Charlton. Uh, you know, Ben Amos is there now as well. You know, a player at May United during his early days. Um are you excited for the future there?
0: No, we are. We are. Yeah. And it was great to see Dylan. Dylan do so well over the last eighteen months, two years. Um, secure his move to Cardiff. Um, fantastic young goalkeeper. Uh he's a credit to his family and, and and to the football club when he was here, the way he conducts himself. He was he was phenomenal. Um and I'm very pleased to see that he's gone on and hopefully he'll he'll get into the team at, at Cardiff, but he's against the Alex Smith is an yeah. exceptional young goalkeeper as well, but we we have some very talented young lads here. Um, and to have Ben Amos, he, he's literally your ultimate professional. Um, any football club out there would be privileged to have someone like Ben Amos because the way he conducts himself, and he, he's a total role model to all the other young goalkeepers at our football club. So, no, it's great. We're having a good time. Um, you know, we won't talk about the Burton result uh, <laughs> too much but generally we're heading in the right direction as a football club um, you know it's down to us as the coaching staff and the manager to to keep pushing the players um, in the right direction and and hopefully a bit of luck and we do things the right way we'll be challenging for promotion again at the end of
1: the season that's good and uh uh, before I end this um, chat with you, I just want to go back to your career and just bring, ask you a few little questions on the best players that you played against and best players you played with. So, um, who would you say is the best player you played against? Uh, there's a lot of Thierry strikers to name. Yeah. Sierra Thierry Henry, yeah.
0: Arsenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. You know, he, when he had his little purple patch, every time he got the ball, just playing him behind, he was just going to score. And that's what he did do. Yeah. Phenomenal player. But I've got to say, very close behind it, if not maybe tipping him, Dennis Burkham. Mm. So, yeah, had to mention that one. Of
1: course. Best um,
0: player I played with, fortunate, I was very fortunate, I played with David Beckham.
1: Of course. So
0: I've got to say him.
1: Who would you um? Who say is the best goalkeeper you sort of were against?
0: Oh, best one I was against. Um, you know, the one that played consistently the best against me was Nigel Martin. Mm-hmm. Just a very good goalkeeper, just consistently good all the time, um, so I'd probably have to say him, but when I played against David Seaman, yeah. the guy just oozed class,, yeah. and he did he just oozed it, so one of them too yeah.
1: do you of course, you're a part of the goalkeeper union and all that you know when you play against other teams, I'm sure you always chat maybe to the goalkeeper coach, you probably know maybe of them, yep. Yeah
0: yeah well, like these days now is it's it's my type of generation of goalkeepers that are now starting to come through um, from when we played against each other, so a lot of us know each other you know there's there's some of those that are a little bit older than me um, but those that were goalkeeper coaches when I was a young player there's most of them are starting to retire now, so um yeah the next generation of coaches is which is my generation is now coming through
1: cool oh, well. Well, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up?
0: No. Listen, Ross, as as I stated earlier, um, I've had I've had a phenomenal career, as in how I've enjoyed it, how I've worked so hard, and the people that I've met, and it's it's been a pleasure and a privilege to be involved in, in football. Um, you know the ups and downs of it, uh, the highs and lows are, are like you'll never believe, and. Um, it, it's one of them I think I'm too institutionalised into it now to, to do anything else so I hopefully for myself may, many years of, of coaching in the future
1: from true crime to football Brexit to Hopeful. for more great podcasts from Archon head to audioboom.com slash channel slash